Hello and welcome to the Hass Help Hotline. I'm Lisa. I'm back with James. Hi. And today we're going to be talking about planning and conducting to conduct again. <laughs> conducting. It's been a long day. <laughs> Psychological research. So we're going to start off with some of the terminology. So experimental versus non-experimental research. Yeah. So experimental research is typically referred to as a true experiment where um, participants would be randomized, not exclusively, but they um, are randomized. And typically, your independent variable is manipulated and your dependent variable is measured. Mm. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. It's, ideally, you're looking for like a cause and effect scenario, but if you're doing a correlational approach, you're not looking for cause and effect, you're just looking for a relationship between variables. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, an experimental approach is definitely. Uh, the key determining factor is that the sample is randomized. Right. So non-experimental would be observations? Yeah, yeah. So essentially non-experimental research would be looking at whatever phenomenon you want to look at in their natural environment. So mm -hmm. to speak, you're just observing and describing what you're observing, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you're not in mid in any way manipulating the You're not variables. actually getting in there no. and doing anything. Absolutely So, not. as I said before, like, uh, Jane Goodall observing chimpanzees would be non-experimental. Correct. Yep. Because she's just observing, oh, they do this and they do that, and the mother hugs the baby when the baby cries and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Okay, so I'm assuming then scientific, non-scientific kind of fall into... Like, scientific would be more experimental, non-scientific would be more non-experimental? Yes. Yep. So, scientific would be the scientific method. Correct. Which is? Hey, the scientific method would be starting with a question. Identifying a problem, something to start with so you know where to research, and that's the next step. You need to generate, well, no, sorry, not generate. You need to actually go into the liter literature and see what the literature says about what your idea is, what your question is, what your topic is, so then you can generate a hypothesis based upon research. So that's probably the most important part of the scientific method is your hypothesis of what your experiment will be on is based on previous research. Right. It's not just out of the blue, it's not just a hunch, it's not just anecdotal, it's not just, yeah. Okay. There needs to be some form of peer-reviewed or supported research that is driving what you're wanting to experiment on. And if you do not do the research and you just do it on a hunch, that would be non-scientific. Correct. Right. So scientific is very important. This is the reason that we've been doing the research on these things. So your hypothesis has something to back it up. Yes. Okay. So once you get your question, you've done a bit of research, mm -hmm. you start to do your hypothesis, yep. uh, you want to start your experiment. Sure. So you're going to need a sample. Correct. And a sample would be... <clears throat> so a sample is essentially a smaller group um, of a broader population. Okay. And a population is essentially uh, anything you want it to be, really. Uh, it can be high school students at Byford High School. It could be um, high school students within... Um, 15Ks of Byford. Yeah, or yeah. a certain postcode. Right. Um, the sample would be, you know, 15, 20, 50, 100 of those specific people. Right. 
Does that make sense? Yes. Like, yeah. So Byford High School students would be your population. And, and then, then year 12 to... students would be your sample. Exactly. Okay. And I just want to also, something that we discussed previously, because I screwed up the podcast, so we had to start again. <laughs> um, with the scientific experiments, they can be recreated. And that's important too. That's the most probably important part of scientific research is it needs to be replicable. Someone else needs to be able to pick up your research report and conduct your experiment and get the same result. Yeah. So... The trick with your method section, which includes your participants, your materials, and your procedure, is to include as much detail as possible, but not too much detail so that you're using too many words. Right. So, the so idea is... have as much detail as possible, <laughs> yeah. but not take up five pages. Exactly. Right. And it's possible to do. It doesn't need to be, um, what's the word for it, like affluent sentences. Yep. It's very cut and dry. It's very, this is what you need to do. Um, one, two, three, four. It's almost like... A grocery list or a shopping list or yeah, yeah, a recipe or something exactly. like that. Yeah. You take two of these and you stir them in with that and <clears throat> you're done. While your sentences need to be coherent, they're not looking for... Um... Yeah, it's not an English essay. No, it it's not flowery to... writing. It's yeah. very much, this is the information that you need to re redo this experiment. Yeah, and so that's the most important thing, I think. And it's quite interesting because... Um, then, you know, I mean, I guess in an argument or whatnot, if people are like, oh, well, blah, blah, blah. Well, where's the research? Has it been redone? Is it, you know, and that's the thing, like, especially nowadays, you hear it a lot with, you know, people arguing over certain things with COVID and whatnot. Hmm. And, you know, like, oh, you know, ivermectin, you know, let's take some horse warmer to cure our, <laughs> cure our COVID. And, you know, the people are saying, well, where's the scientific proof? Where is the research where has yeah. it been backed up where has it been recreated and that's that's <clears throat> what the scientific community is all about it is and that's like an interesting point too because that kind of leads into not leads into but a segue of that um is about ethics which yes. is actually one of the most important parts prior pre pre-experiment i suppose yes. um yeah in psychology you cannot do any recruitment any advertising until some form of ethics committee <clears throat> excuse me, or ethics board has approved your research. Yes. Because you've got to consider things like um, weighing the risks and benefits. Um, if you are doing research on a, a minority group or culturally sensitive group, those things need to be taken into consideration so that any part of your experiment doesn't negatively affect um, that, that group. Yep. And so also... Um, <clears throat> So this is another thing I forgot to mention to you earlier, but <laughs> perfect that you brought it up because what are the rights? So the participation has rights within the participation because of the ethics. Like yeah. there's confidentiality. Yes, there's informed consent. You cannot actually be a participant unless you've been given informed consent. Okay, and informed consent means not just, hey, I want you to do an experiment <laughs> no, before you sign this piece of paper. Yeah. It that has to be actually... It's 100% transparent from start to finish. This is exactly what you'll be experiencing. Yep. Um, it's interesting in the APA ethics guidelines, they do suggest that some form of deception, I hate that word, but it's good to describe what you want to do. Um, some form of deception is actually applicable if the benefits outweigh the risks of that deception. Right. So in other words, if you give every single detail of what you're doing, it may skew the results because the people exactly. may say a certain thing or act yep. a certain way because they think that's what the results exactly right you want the results yeah. to be then you can yep. kind of omit certain things yeah. but it's not like you're going to be like oh i just want to see um 
you know, you can't just be like, okay, uh, will you be in my experiment? I want to see how you deal with stressful situations. And then they sign the piece of paper and then you sit them down and put shocks. No. You know, like, uh, you, know, sh you know, like a battery shock or whatever on them. <laughs> like and, the Milgram behavioral Yeah, yeah exactly. No. Yeah, anything yeah. like that. So we're not going to do any of that kind of stuff and we're not going to be Freud and you know, assault and abuse women. And exactly. All that We're not doing thing. that anymore. Yeah. Although, like, it's unfortunate because some of the stuff that was learnt from Freud and the Milgram experiment and the Burns MMR um, article that was released about the MMR vaccine yeah. um, and its associations to autism, that probably isn't the best example because that was just absolute rubbish. Um, but the Milgram experiment and, like, um experiments from the Nazi Germany yeah. concentration camps. Like, yes, the ethics around that were horrible and not considered, but what we learnt from those instances yeah. have given, like, Freud was the foundation, founding, founding father of psychoanalysis, yeah. and what we learnt to do with what he suggested was possibly there, um, we generated heaps and heaps and like, a a decade. Yeah. Centuries. But we would not want to recreate no. any of yeah. his uh, psychological Definitely everything from this point forward is ethically sound. Yes. And the other thing is, even if the person says, I'd like to do this experiment, yes, I'll be one of your volunteers, if halfway through they go, oh, I don't really want to do this anymore, mm. you can't be like, you sign this paper, <laughs> you must stay. <laughs> you, ha you have to allow them the right to withdraw. Yeah, that's a part of the informed consent. At any, at, at any time, they are within their rights to leave. Mm. Are there any particular procedures to go through informed consent, or like, if, like what, like? So, I mean, we've kind of talked about this, mm. but you really have to lay everything out. Don't yeah, you? from start to finish, you're pretty much giving them a report of what you intend to do. Yep. So, and also not only what. I want you to be in this experiment. This is what I want you to do. Yep. You will be anonymous. Yep. If you want to withdraw. At any time, yep. Yep. And when you're reporting that as a researcher, you would include them. Right. And you would say that this participant at this point in the experiment decided to leave. Yep. Um, we are unsure if that affected their results, yada, yada, yada. Because a part of what happened. Yeah. Um, but, and as we talked about before, deception, and that's not the greatest word for it, it's is... Not. Yeah, but it is something that you can do if, and only if, by revealing everything about the experiment, Correct. you might skew the results. Exactly. Yeah, and it needs to be like it significantly benefits of the research needs to outweigh the risks right. of being deceptive. Yes, and that goes through, um, yeah, the regulatory body, body, whatever body or committee um, you are responsible to. Yep. Yep. Cool. So we've got the ethics, we've got mm -hmm. the informed consent, we've got our sample, we've got our sample from our population. Yep. We've decided we're doing an experimental scientific experiment mm -hmm. in which we are going to take two groups of people and one of them will be learning a list of words via rote learning, the other will be learning a list of words via mnemonics mm -hmm. and then we are going to record the number of words remembered by the people who wrote learned and compare it with the number of words remembered by the people who used mnemonics yep. so which is the what are the independent and dependent variables within that 
Yeah, so if you keep it from a simple approach, your independent variables are the variables that the researcher is manipulating. In this instance, it's the method of, the technique of um, memory retention. Right. So, so rote learning and mnemonics are the They're the, the two independent, independent variables, yep. yep. Uh, the dependent variable is the variable being measured, so in this instance, it would be successful recalls. Yep. Cool. And so, okay, we've got our consent, we've got the way we're going to do the experiment. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to do our hypothesis, our operational hypothesis. So, um, an operational hypothesis is basically um, including your population, mm -hmm. your sampling method, IV and DV. Yeah, so your general hypothesis is pretty much like a, if something occurs, yada yada yada, then this will happen, yada yada yada. But yep. an operational, opera operation, oper <laughs> far out now. I, I can't know, say right? Operation. Operational hypothesis, um, is quite specific about your your variables. So your independent and your dependent variables must be included. Yeah. Um, your sampling method and your so your sample, how you got the sample. Um, and the population, and also the relationship that you should be expecting between the variables. Yeah. So, for example, in this case, it would be like students, when presented with 20 words to remember, mm -hmm. either by rote or mnemonic. Yep, so there's your DV and your IVs. Yes. Will be more likely to remember the words if they use the mnemonic correct now, method or yes. i've met i don't know yeah if they use mnemonics yeah. yeah and based on my understanding of the research around memory retention mnemonics would be the likely one to be higher yeah there you go so um i don't know about you guys but typically uh in psychological reporting we have like a little section just before the hypothesis which restates the aim mm -hmm. um and you can most of the time get away with being specific about the aims and how you're going to attain those aims just before you write the hypothesis. And therefore the hypothesis kind of ties into the aims Correct. and so that's why the hypothesis doesn't have to be this... Exactly, like really long couple of sentences. Yeah. It's only actually meant to be one sentence. Yeah. <clears throat> cool. So, sorry, uh, just going back with the aims. So what are we looking for in the aims? Like, when you're writing the aims, mm -hmm. it's basically you're talking about this was... It, that's where you're kind of doing the whole. This was the question. This is the research, and this is how why I want to how I want to find out. Yeah. So you could start the aims little paragraph, um, couple of sentences. It doesn't need to be huge. It just needs to be this, like considering previous research which you've done in the previous paragraphs as a part of your introduction. Mm -hmm. um, considering previous research, um, we expect that blah 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 blah. blah. Like the mnemonics will be um, have higher re higher retention retention yeah. um, compared to other. Uh, learning techniques, sorry, memory retention techniques. Um, we in this study we aim to investigate rote learning compared to mnemonics. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then you can go. And then say, and the hypothesis is. Yeah, bam. this is what we expect. Yep. Cool. So it kind of makes sense to go yeah. in that paragraph. Yeah. This is what we know. This is what we're aiming to do. Yeah. This is what we expect. So that's actually, I mean, and if you think about it, like the way you set it out is quite logical. Where you're like, okay. So here's all the theories and rah, rah, rah. Yeah. this is what I've learned. Mm -hmm. So my aim is to see whether or not what I've learned holds up. Yeah. And this is and so this is my hypothesis and this is how I'm going to do it. Yep. And then here are my results and 
here's why the hypothesis either was or wasn't supported. Supported. Yep. yep. Sweet. So controlled and uncontrolled variables. Hmm. So controlled variables in this instance would be, you know, your independent variables and your dependent variables. Mm. Um, you have control over those, yeah. obviously. And the uncontrolled are if what? the fire alarm goes off in the middle of the experiment. Or... Yeah, or, um, you know, you could control for it, but you may not. Um, confound variables, uncontrolled variables, same, same, um, would be things like time of day. Mm. Like memory retention might be better for some people in the morning, might be better for some people in the p.m. Um, other things like it might be middle of the week where you're right. really tired and like there's so many things that you can do your best to account for yeah um, but sometimes like you might get a skew in the results which don't really get explained by the very variables you are controlling for yeah um, so consider like look outside of the box a little bit and go yeah. what's actually happening so here. if you go oh well we did this on Friday <clears throat> fifth period yeah then that's going to be something that may be an issue when we were looking if the results don't necessarily add up to what especially if you're doing like a time lapse repeated measures because your experiment is a repeated measures design so you've got one group doing two separate experiments mm. um hopefully those two experiments are done coin like they coincide with each other yeah um not done on different days or different times yeah, yeah. um that would be something that you can control yeah um but if it doesn't get controlled you could always write it in your um Discussion? Yeah. I just can't remember where to put that in. Yes, discussion. <laughs> discussion, yeah. Um, and then experimental and control groups. So, I mean, in this one, there really isn't. Because, I mean, they're both kind of experimental groups. As such. They're both experimental groups. Yeah. Um, your control group could be a placebo, a placebo group. Um, like, you could <laughs> yeah. just ask people to just continuously expose themselves to the stimulus, trying to remember as much as they yeah, can. Yeah, um, I mean, but in this case, we don't necessarily have that. But in some experiments, you have an experimental and a control group, and that would be... You have a control group, um, especially when you're looking at efficacy of interventions, yeah. um, for psychological interventions or medications or all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Your control group would be the current standard, so if you're looking at whether CBT, CB, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, performs better for people with depression than DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, um, your control group would be the CBT because that's currently the gold yeah. standard. Yeah. Yeah? Um, you wouldn't just go... It would be unethical from a research perspective to not actually expose anyone to some form of intervention. Right. Because then you're going, you can just suffer with your depression whilst we study if this is actually effective. Right, yes. You still need to treat them. Yes. Otherwise, it wouldn't be approved ethically. Right. Uh, so, yeah, yeah control group would be... Could be a placebo effect. Um, yeah. The current status quo of what yeah. you're actually looking at. Yeah. So, for example, I mean, and this is not... But, like, so in... Uh, uh, Cancer, a new cancer medication. Mm -hmm. The control group is the group that's getting the tried and true. Yes. And then the experimental group is the one that's getting the new drugs. Correct. Kind of yep. Cool. Um, now, when we want to display our quantitative data, what's the best way to do that? Tables. Um, tables, figures, graphs, glass. diagrams. Yeah. Um, Why? <laughs> Why? Uh, because there's actually a lot of information. Because we don't want five billion pages yeah. of explanation. Um, yeah, I've done it before. We were you know, allowed to report um, any figures or tables. Oh. Uh, it's a lot of words. 
Um, but yeah, that's what the essential meaning around why you put it into tables, figures, and graphs is because you can get so much information from tables, figures, and graphs than you can into words. Mm. Um, it's actually easier for some people to see something visually depicted as opposed to written in words mm. as well. And especially if you're making um, reporting about correlations, yeah. uh, that's much easier to see in graphs. Yep. Um, yeah. All right, so if we're doing graphs, then we got to do some data interpretation. So just very quickly, hmm. we got the mean, median, mode, and <laughs> range. So the mode is the number that occurs most often. Correct. Uh, mean is the average. Correct. So add everything up and divide it by the number of people. Mm -hmm. Median, the one in the middle. Mm. And the range is the lowest to the highest number. So I'm hoping you guys can remember that from year nine math, maybe? I don't know. Okay. So then we use correlation to establish an association between the variable. So I know we talked about this like when we were talking before we started recording. Hmm. Um, so... And now I can't, uh, like, okay, so the memory thing's going. <laughs> I need a mnemonic for this. So um, I can't remember exactly what we were talking about about that, though. So um, so the use of correlation to establish association between variables. Yeah. A correlation is essentially a linear relationship between two variables. It can be positive or negative. Mm. So if one increases, one decreases. Or if one increases, one increases. Yep. So if... Independent variable increases, the dependent variable also increases, that would be considered a positive correlation. If the independent variable increases or the dependent variable decreases, that would be considered a negative correlation. Right. It's just a way of describing the relationship. Yep, cool. All right, so qualitative methods for data collection. So typically qualitative methods, the most common would be focus groups. Yep. Um, why? Because typically it's a descriptive approach when you're doing qualitative research. You want quality. You want to understand something that you probably already have an idea about. Um, so you, you you've probably already done some quantitative research or you're aware of quantitative research out there. So quantitative research is a frequentist approach. Sorry for the word. Um, but it looks at the intensity and frequency of behavior. Mm. Um, typically reported numerically and, and studied as such. That would be looking at your correlations and your factor analyses, all that lovely stuff. Yeah. Whereas the qualitative research wants to look at the context, um, so your values, behaviors, and beliefs. Yeah. That drive essentially those behaviors and how intense those behaviors are. Right. So you're looking more for the description, the, like yeah, the, the, why, the participants, yeah, the why, the why of, of. of yeah, the, the why, why of, the what, and the how. Yeah, basically. the why of behavior, the what. Yeah. Yeah. So the, what... your quantitative um, design would give you whether it's present mm. and how intense is that presence. And then the qualitative is the why yeah. or how. Or how it's present. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, quantitative measures are obviously very easy to, well, not easy, but like, they seem more straightforward to be able to come up with the data Correct. than a qualitative. And they're much easier to actually collect the data as yeah. well. So it is like, so quantitative measures would be 
okay, these kids did rote learning. They had to memorize 20 words. This kid remembered 10. Yep. Boom. That's quantitative. Boom. Qualitative would be sitting that kid down doing a focus group asking, how did you find that experiment? When you had to recall um, item X, did you find that easy to recall? Um, Did you find the time of day? Like anything that's context or values or beliefs or behaviors related. Yeah. That's your qualitative research. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. I don't know if they can hear that. But, and then finally, which is another thing that we're not going to talk about, like in this experiment, Mm. but physiologic, that word. Physiological, physiological measures. So that would be like sweaty palms, heartbeat, Mm -hmm. temperature, breathing, Right. Or eye. Um, eye movement. Movement, yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, so physiological measures are also like uh, reaction time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's anything... So anything that can be f- measured physiologically can have inferences for psychology as well. Yes. So presumably if you're sweaty palmed, your eye movement's rapid, your breathing's increased, your heart rate's increased, and there's no um, external stimulus, so stimulus outside of yourself that should be reasonably causing that, you would say that you're probably experiencing anxiety. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the physiological measures are basically giving a quantitative measure to a qualitative or affective experience. Yeah. So... That's how we came up with lie detectors, isn't it? Yes. From the physiological yeah, measures. Yeah, sweaty palms, yeah. increased heart rate, all yep. that kind of stuff. And, yes. But they are not admissible in a court, so <laughs> if the police have you for something and they're like, oh, we just want to put you on the lie detector, you don't have to. All right, sorry. And always, lawyer, lawyer, lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you kids. I know it has nothing to do with psychology, but if you ever get pulled by the police and pulled into the police station and you phone your parents and then you say, I'm not talking without my lawyer. That is exactly what you do. Yes. So, <laughs> not that that has anything really to do with psychology, but just please remember that always. Um, so, those are the different research is there anything else that you can think of that we haven't necessarily covered? Um, well, the research methods, like, it, it's pretty available, and most of the sources online are pretty accurate. Mm. Um, but essentially, at least looking for what kind of experiment is it? Is it an experiment or is it non experiment? Is it like true experiment or is it a quasi experiment? Like, mm. just, yeah, it, we covered everything. Yeah. Yeah. Not too overly complicated, and if it is, um, yeah, there's plenty of resources online. Yeah, but here I just have a quick question. Um, you know how, like, we're saying one of the important things about an experiment is that it needs to be able to be recreated and yes. stuff like that. Okay, and when you come up with a question and you have to look for research to kind of back up your hypothesis, what if you can't find any research? Interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah, so in that instance, you would try and look for parallel research Mm -hmm. or um, whatever research you do choose to use in your report. If you can justify as to why that research gave you the hypothesis that you're using or the aims of the study, um, then yeah, you can use that. Right. So, for for example, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. For example, in my thesis, I did, 
um, it was on a very small minority group, um, gay men in Western Australia. Right. And the research on that uh, was very sparse. It was probably four, four or five articles in total that was specifically looking at what we want, what we wanted to look at. Yeah. So what we had to do is um, draw parallels between straight male experiments and W straight male experiments in WA that were similar to what you wanted exactly. to do. Exactly. Right. We had to be really clear about. Obviously, these are two different subgroups. Um, however, due to the lack of research, we can only make inferences that this, this, this might occur. Right. Or they may experience this because it was qualitative. Right. Um, it was focus groups, so we could kind of get away with saying this may occur, but we'll find out in the experiment. Right. So, I mean, and that's, I guess, what you kind of have to do then. You have to kind of say, well, there's not a lot of research based on the research that we could find that kind of suits this. This could happen. But we could be completely wrong. Yeah, and yeah. justify why. Like, you can't just go, oh, there's no research. Um, here's some research over here, and this proves this. No. Right, Like, yeah. you have to go, here's some research over here, and also tie it to what you're actually wanting to look at. Yeah. So why are you looking at that research? Because it has the potential to prove why this might occur. Yeah. Or why that might occur. Yeah. So, again, same sort of thing. Like, so, you know, if it's like, oh, there's no research on it on humans, but some psychologist in or psychiatrist in Germany did an experiment on puppies that mm. said that when this happened, this would happen. So we're going to have to take that and then kind of create it for what we want in humans or something like that. Yeah. And be really specific about it. Yeah. Like you can't just go, well, that's like, it, it could apply because we're both animals. Yeah, yeah. Um, be like, why could it apply? Yeah. Because, because when like, it becomes to a behavior, behavioral learning is very similar for animals to humans. Yeah. Here are some limitations from the animal perspective that humans can do and animals can't do, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Like, get really specific. Yeah. Although, you guys won't have this issue with doing no. your experiment. No. But it does, it can happen. Especially yeah. when you're trying to figure out, like, novel ways of helping people deal with COVID. Yeah. Like you just have to, you, there are stuff to draw on, obviously. Yeah. But I mean, I guess like, so if you're dealing with like, I mean, <clears throat> if you wanted to look at um, pandemic anxiety or something yeah. like that, that's, I guess you would then have to draw from, and well, would it, I guess it would, would it be anecdotal evidence or would there be experiments or like something from like the Spanish flu of 1918? Exactly. Yeah. Like go as far back as you can, yeah. or if you don't want to go far back, you could draw parallels between why you think the pandemic anxiety, which what you're calling the pandemic anxiety, why you think that might be related to social anxiety, right? Or why you think that might be related to specific phobias, or yeah, or like <clears throat> isolationism and all that exactly. Kind of so yeah. if you can justify why you think it might be related, then that's okay. Yeah. Yes. But just don't put leeches on people like they did in the <laughs> Middle Ages. Or don't attach electrodes to people in shock them to see what happens. No, exactly. Are you obedient? You are now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, James, for that. You're hmm, um, welcome. And hopefully that gives you guys a little bit more um, uh, clarity as to what goes into a research project or uh, experiment. Yeah. What research uh, methods are? Yeah, sorry. Uh, we just did a whole thing on memory, and I just completely <laughs> forgot what I was trying to say. All right. On that note, we will leave it there. Um, please don't, if you have any panic anxiety, please go see somebody about it. Mm, um, be safe. Wear a mask, and I will see you in the next one. All right. Bye. Bye.